around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation, which is a different Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, we uh, typically have a very loose, unstructured Marin Open over here on The Greatest Discovery. Oh, yeah. Greatest Generation, a show where work gets put in, <laughs> ideas for different kinds of Marin get come up with. There's a whole room full of people coming up with those ideas. Not over here. <laughs> it's still just you and me. There's just a room for it. A thousand lower primates at a thousand typewriters. Right. Yeah, but uh, today we are going to open up a box on the on the episode. We're going to open up boxes. Yeah, we usually save this for Twitch, but not today. It's because it's the holiday season, and and uh, your friend and mine, and the friend to all friends of Desoto, Bill Tilly, has sent us a holiday box, as is his tradition. And uh, what a what a great use of our Marin today to open that box and see what what delights. Are inside. <laughs> this is gonna be the one time where Bill just fucking quits. He's like, <laughs> after this year, yeah, fuck this. <laughs> Bill, I just want to make a request. If you do ever quit Uxbridge Shimoda, do do it in the form of a box. I think that'd be consistent with uh, with the Bill Tilly way of doing things in our experience. It could be like one of those boxes that um, shoots glitter everywhere like they always do to prank porch pirates on YouTube. Tell you what, you glitter bomb me, that sends only one message. <laughs> you have quit. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain size only. Well, I'm looking at, uh, how would you describe the size of this box, Ben? Maybe a one by one by one, kind of a oh, a cube shape? A, yours is a different form factor than mine. Mine is more like the box that a box of shoes would ship in. Once again, I'm shocked at how expensive it is to mail anything in this country. And I really <laughs> hope that Bill availed himself from his workplace mailroom to do this. Yeah, me too. Not the Uxbridge Shimoda workplace mailroom, though. Yeah. <laughs> The no. real job that he has. No, some real low lives working there. <laughs> You're never gonna work your way up from that mail. Yeah. What is there to work your way up to? <laughs> oh man, these are gift wrapped in here. Really? Oh wow. Yeah, mine too. Bill, you're just the greatest. I got a stack of gifts in here. I got a letter. Let's see. It's got. Uh... <laughs> It's got Feklar Claws on it. I've got four gifts and a Feklar Claws card as well. Feklar, of course, being the uh, the official mascot of the Greatest Generation holiday season. Who the heck are you? The Klingons call me Feklar. You are not Feklar. Why, of course I am. <laughs> You've been good, haven't you? Because if you haven't... Feklar Claws will give you a kiss on the cheek. Feklar Claus is going to come down your chimney with his sleeveless leather tank top. <laughs> there to yeah. drool all over the cookies you've left for him. I'm not going to read this uh, this letter out loud because it's uh, it contains names that I don't I try not to divulge on the show. Yeah, but, uh, a personal thank- and kind note to me and you. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Bill. 
Wow, I don't know. I don't know which which package to start with. I'm gonna start with a, a big one of the bigs. Oh yeah, that's the order. Bill said that there were some Star Trek things in these, but that that makes it seem like they're not all Star Trek things. Awesome. <laughs> My the first gift I opened is a is a xenomorph. Oh, is that the one from Alien Three? That's like yeah, white? The, the white one. Uh, it's with a <laughs> with a companion egg and face hugger. Oh, this is great. Oh, Adam, I am excited to say that I got a blue xenomorph. You blew your xenomorph. <laughs> I blew my xenomorph. That's uh, awesome. I also have a, a face hugger. It's in like a it's in like a, a canister, like yeah. one of those. Uh, oh it yeah. It's like a safe way to transport for, for a face studying. hugger. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Action articulated figure. Amazing. I'm so glad this show has allowed us to get back into action figures. <laughs> Guilt free. <laughs> Guilt free. Did you see anything? No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. Good. All right, I'm I'm opening up gift number two. Okay. This looks like an action figure, also, but action figures are so hard to wrap, and Bill has nailed it. Bill. Yeah. Uh, a veteran of the wrapping of action figures game. He's a real artiste when it comes to that. Oh boy, I got a Saru action figure. <laughs> really? <laughs> Thanks, Bill. With dog dig action fingers? I'm holding up a bunch of dog dicks like like so many socks and <laughs> and thanking Bill. I, how did we open the same two packages? I got Saru as well. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, they really captured his face, but they did not capture his build in this action figure. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he needs uh he needs longer legs if that's possible. Longer and skinnier everything. They did give him the, the hoof boots though. They did, yeah. You like to see that. He really has some fucked up feet. <laughs> Not the most <laughs> fucked up thing about him. <laughs> you know, it's, it it occurs to me, we've spent a lot of time talking about Saru's fingies. We've never actually seen him take his shoes off. What do you think that would look like? I want to see Saru in repose. Like, all we see, <laughs> ever see him do is work. He's working at work, or he's back in his condo watering his plants. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Why doesn't he just kick back on the Shea Long, take off those crazy boots, let yeah. us see them feet? Let's see them tootsies, Saru. If the hands are that gross, the feet have got to be an order of magnitude grosser, right? Or they're just hooves, which I feel like aren't that gross. Oh, I got another action figure, Ben. It is a Rocky action figure. Whoa. Look at this. <laughs> so cool. Wow. Which version of the uh, terry cloth bathrobe is, is Rocky wearing? In I'm that looking at the red and the yellow robe, which would indicate to me a, uh, a Rocky II film reference. Man. Well, I have opened up a Predator action figure from the movie Predator. Whoa. This Predator has wrist blades, a smart disc, a plasma bazooka, an electro claw, which you will remember as being forensic evidence that they find in uh, in the ceiling in Predator Two. That's right. Yeah. This is a this is a cool predator. <laughs> That's one cool predator. The only line of dialogue I I will remember for the rest of my life from Predator Two is when uh, I think it's in the cold open, like the, there's a crazy gang war happening that the Predator gets involved in. A totally absurd, over-the-top gang war. You remember the guy slapping the cocaine on his shoulder just to have it like available to him during the, <laughs> the upcoming gang war? He, he slaps his shoulder with the coke and he's like, 
Oh yeah, the scorpion is ready. <laughs> I, every time I inhale, like I take an allergy drug every day that is an intranasal allergy drug. Yeah, like a flow nase type of deal. Every single morning that I take it, I think it. I think that exact line of dialogue. It will never cease to amaze me looking back at 80s and 90s drug war media that people watched that and get and went, yep, the drug war is working and it is a good thing to spend money on. Hey, I got a Predator 2. Not from Predator 2. I got the Hunter series Predator, Ben. And he's mostly naked. Oh, that's what I got too, I think. He's a he's City Hunter Predator. Oh, he's City Hunter Predator. Check I, him I out. I, I must have gotten... Um, I must have gotten like jungle hunter predator because he's green. Yours is yeah. Yours is like yellow and orange. Right. Yeah. I'm getting a lot of uh, the friends of Desoto are seeing a lot of reflection off of the box here as I mm, show yeah. the camera. I can see myself in that reflection. Twenty five points of articulation. My that is a fucking crazy number of points. My own body doesn't have twenty five points of articulation. <laughs> Not right now, anyway. This is amazing. Thanks, Bill. Adam, my final action figure is Q in <laughs> Q Judge uniform. Wow! Get up the uh, the outfit he is wearing in the first and the last episode of Star Trek: Colon the Next <laughs> Generation. This is great. What do you think's under that rope, Ben? Uh, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to open up the box and find out, I suppose. Oh, you're gonna Bill, destroy its value. I know that Bill is probably fainting. Oh no. So hopefully he has a chaise long nearby. Bill has left the chat. <laughs> One of Q's legs fell out when I <laughs> opened the box. That's what's under the robe. I stand before you defrocked. <laughs> oh no. I think Q is broken. <laughs> Oh. Uh, does that increase the value again? Like, for oh, the yeah, moment, yeah. you decreased the value, but now that you know that you've gotten a faulty cue, it's a. Now it's a collector's item. Upside down airplane on a stamp yeah. cue. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, this looks like it, it is actually snapped plastic and not just. <laughs> it just. Fell out. <laughs> it just keeps busting apart. Oh, no. <laughs> this is a this is a very low quality Q action figure. I have to say. Oh no! I have no power. Are you gonna are you gonna put the action figure maker on blast? Uh, let's see who who is the uh, who's the manufacturer? Marty Abrams presents Mego. I think is the manufacturer. Hey Marty, you fucked up the Q action figure. What are you doing? You fucking blew it, Marty. <laughs> Uh yeah yeah this is uh this is zebrachen uh, as they say unfortunately hey uh if you're if you follow the greatest trek Instagram uh I'll direct you there to see the super fucked up picture of this <laughs> of this dismembered queue what's the kid in uh in Toy Story that that uh that makes like the the like <laughs> Yeah. Frankenstein monster toys. That's what you're doing. We need to find that kid. Hey, Q, it appears that the trial has ended, and the sentence is dismemberment. So play nice. 
<laughs> He's been drawn and quartered. Yeah. <laughs> and now his limbs will be buried in the four corners of the kingdom. Everyone thought that humanity was on trial, but it was actually Q, like being countersued yeah. by Picard. Picard said, I'm not an on trial with you. You're on trial with me. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Hey, uh, Bill Tilly, one of the great friends of DeSoto, our social media manager, uh, just one of the one of the great people we've ever had the good fortune of meeting in our creation and production of this show. Uh, we feel so lucky to work with you, Bill. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, truly one of the greats. These are some fun, fun toys, and um, yeah, I'll send this. I'll send the cue back. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> hey, three out of four great toys isn't bad, Bill. Not not a bad number. Uh, I do. I am a little bit afraid to open up the Saru. Just yeah, <laughs> he seems more delicate than Q in a lot of ways. It's just a uh, one of those can of snakes just filled with dog dicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Adam, do you want to get into the episode of Star Trek Discovery? that we watched for today's episode. Yeah, uh, we're going to see what's inside the storm they've been studying. Hopefully it's not full of dog dicks. <laughs> it's Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 6, Stormy Weather. A Frakes episode, finally, back in the warm embrace of a Jonathan Frakes-directed episode. Can you remember the tallest man you've ever seen? I was wondering if we were going to get another one. Feels good. And he lets you know in a couple of different scenes just who's at the helm of this one. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, he, he does not leave that to, to mystery, does he? I've been thinking a lot about family. It's comforting, you know? It can be. We open on a disturbing appropriation of a Kali culture by Michael Burnham here, mm. uh, who has made her own crystalline entity tree for herself and is really throwing it all over in book's face like throwing all of her surviving family members in book's face like look at the tree i can make hey book i got you a crystalline entity tree too and it's like the charlie brown crystalline entity tree with like no surviving family members for book <laughs> yeah pretty fucked up to do this on the his dead dad's birthday <laughs> You know, if we ever got married, I could put your father in. No, I guess I couldn't because he's dead, huh? He blew up yeah. with the rest of them. And Book is like, what's the order that you're putting them on? It's not uh, <laughs> It's not everybody's rank. You're not putting it according to that. You're on the same branch as your little brother there. What's going... What's the what's the scheme here? And she's like, Oh no, this is just how the Okali do it. It's it's every which way but loose how you how you put people's faces on the family tree. I think it's also weird that you've got like doubles of Spock on there. You've got young Spock and also older bearded Spock as well. Like what does that exactly mean? Do you actually think the beard is working? And is that mirror universe, Georgia, or regular edition? <laughs> doubles are good, but triples are better. Because it seems like if you had Mirror Universe Giorgio on there, that would be bad. Book gestures to his tiny crystalline entity tree, and it's just like dead birds. <laughs> dead birds and, and syrup. <laughs> the, uh, the book tree story. So he is uh, pretty eager for the fray. He is, he is arguing that they should probably go start uh, figuring out who made the DMA and kick their fucking teeth in 
And Michael Burnham is like, all right, man, slow to roll. Mm -hmm. Like we have some evidence that we need to go examine. There's this rift in space. It's a crime scene. Mm -hmm. This is CSI and it seems that the galaxy is being rift apart. (laughs) Yeah! You had the glasses and everything. Yeah, yeah. I did that for the viewers at home. One of the great video episodes happening today. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) Book wants to go outside of Federation space to do this investigation. I mean, and his argument is pretty sound, right? They keep skating to where the puck was instead of where it's going. Like, like following this thing around isn't doing anyone any good. It doesn't work. Is that why I was not good at ice hockey? Um, No, I mean, you weren't good at ice hockey because you were totally uncoordinated. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) You're wearing two left skates. I was actually pretty good at skating. It was the uh, puck handling part that I that I failed at. Could you put on skates today and skate around like the holiday ice rink were there to be one? Not only could I, I can. I have I still have skates that fit. What? Yeah. God. This is maybe the only time I've I've ever been envious of you. Because <laughs> I am totally the partner to my wife who wants to go ice skating, who's like, Yeah, I'll totally do that with you. And then I'm like grabbing the wall, like moving my way down the wall while she ice skates beautifully in the middle. You've got the uh you've got the pillow from your bed <laughs> roped around your waist so that if you fall on your butt. I've got the walker, like the walker with the tennis balls. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I I do feel fortunate that I learned how to skate when, at a young age. You're so uh, tall, man. When you fall on the ice, you're falling a great distance. Yeah, yeah. It scares me now, for sure. And ice is so hard. I mean, and like, when you, when you learn to skate for ice hockey, you're wearing pads that make falling not that big a deal. <laughs> and then when you go to, like, the holiday ice rink with your special person and you fall, it's like, fuck, I just fractured my knee. It's sort of, it's the weird kind of parkour sensibility of it. Like moving slow and falling straight down on the ice is actually more damaging than moving forward, like directionally, because you're you're bouncing off of the ice at an angle right. instead yeah. of just crumpling right on it. Like a skipped rock. Yeah, that's how you want to be. Yeah. Michael Burnham and Saru uh, are headed to the bridge to go examine this rift, and they have a little brief interaction about, hey, so uh, Zora, the ship's computer, has Fifi's now. <laughs> what do you think of that? Yeah. Interesting development. Yeah. Let's continue to ignore this looming threat to, <laughs> like, no one says control at this point, but everyone's got to be thinking it, right? Yeah. Everybody's asshole is tightened up. We we just destroyed a thinking computer not that long ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a pretty fun like cut around the ship, uh, or I guess it's they're kind of like push edits around the ship to uh, everybody getting excited to be ordered to the bridge or ordered to their stations for uh, for a big mission. All crew report to stations. I love a wipe transition so much. Yeah, you never get them in Star Trek. It was uh, it really caught my attention. Give me all these wipes. It's big fun. I saw a Lurian in the lounge yeah. where Adira and Gray were playing uh, playing their game. That's where a Lurian belongs, for sure. A Lurian in Starfleet. Now we've seen everything. Hey, do you think Saru wishes he still had his threat ganglia to know when death was imminent? Like, there's got to be a part of him that feels 
like because it feels like death is so present in every season of Star Trek Discovery that that yeah. could be useful on some some level, right? I wonder if his spikes like how long does it take to reload them like when he shot that guy in like season three episode two is he like a nerf machine gun that just has 200 (laughs) of those darts back there ready to go (laughs) or does he have five on each side and then it takes like six months for them to regrow i mean much like the nerf thing do you need to go pick up those spikes and put them back in your neck right the second you get your kid action ganglia you're gonna just find those spikes all over the house for the rest of your fucking life it's worse than stepping on a lego you step on one of saru's ganglia god yeah. ouch yeah. <laughs> gray is left alone when everyone is called to the bridge because unlike how a galaxy class operates there don't seem to be any civilians on the ship right so this is going to happen a lot to gray yeah adira has their first on the bridge assignment which they are Nervous about again, <laughs> the the all new Adira who has suddenly got performance anxiety, right? And uh, and so Gray is is left to just kind of twiddle his thumbs <laughs> in the lounge. Uh, I mean, it's kind of nice to be left alone in a bar, right? Like you just walk behind it and pour yourself whatever you want. I was thinking that too, but in in the perfect future without uh, paper money, you could probably walk behind there and like. The 32nd century is an open bar everywhere you go, right? God, what a beautiful place to live. Yeah. It's just a wedding every day, basically. <laughs> what a nightmare, actually. That actually sounds like the worst. Yeah. Uh, too much of a good thing, I guess. So they pull up on this rift, and it really has Eye of Sauron energy. And uh, they, the speech from the captain is about what we need to find here is forensic energy. And she rattles off some different types of things that that might be, uh, like industrial particles, what, like different kinds of shit. And, uh, and then they, they take it in pretty quickly. We are flying through this plasma cloud where there's some, uh, you know, some turbulence. I think crucially, everyone's given a warning, right? Like, we're going to suspend drink service. Until right. we get to the to the other side of the rift, you know, you might want to keep things buckled up until we get there. And that's that's what sets up how weird it is that things get calm. Is it supposed to be bumpy? This is indeed unexpected. Calm is stressful because we've been given the context of how it should be. Yeah, we've been led to expect non-calm. <laughs> and when uh, when we get to see what's on the view screen, it's it's very Nagilum like. I thought. I thought for sure that we were in Nagilam because it's just black outside the screen and they can't, I mean, it's the same problem, right? It's like there is there is no way of knowing where the edges are. Mm-hmm. They can't get a fix on anything. There's nothing, there's no like background radiation, which doesn't make any sense at all. And, uh, and pretty quickly book is like, all right, I'm going to get in my ship and fly around and see what this is. <laughs> because no one can stop me because I'm Cleveland Booker. If there are birds out there, I'm going to find them. This plays upon a a pretty instinctual fear, like the fear of like nothing is as scary as something. So instead of book, they uh, send a dot. I did not expect to have as an emotional a reaction to the death of a dot as I did. Sounds like it's. I guess it was the last season where the dots were like temporarily housing the sphere energy and were like semi-sentient. 
I had so many questions about this in the same way that you did, because it is clear both in what we're hearing and how the crew people are describing this moment, that the dot is being tortured to death and and yeah. being shredded out in space. But like <laughs> last season, Zora put herself into the dots and the question of their sentience remains, I think, did something actually die is a question that is not answered here or anywhere else in the episode. And, and like Nilsson says that it's been eaten in a way yeah. that suggests, you know, a life like like that the life form has been eaten and then like cutting to the wide shot also suggests that a death has happened here too in a in a Star Trek visual language my understanding was that Zora was now out of the dots and back into mm-hmm. the ship but that was definitely called into question by how how like personal the death of this thing <laughs> seemed to be they they seem really upset about it. Like more upset than the guy that actually dies later. Yeah, I know. You know? <laughs> Burnham is like built for this shit because after they witness the torture and murder of a dot in front of them, she she like immediately reframes this as a fun science project they all have the ability to solve. Seatbelts, everyone! I knew I should have stayed home today. <laughs> yeah. Uh I guess Booker is pretty happy that he uh he took her advice for action and didn't go out there, though. No kidding. That was a close one. Close as fuck. I like the idea um, is just to keep shooting shit out there. They they shoot a yeah. flare blast. An emergency buoy. Into the blackness. They do. And this one is eaten even quicker than the dot, which means that the, uh, that the edge is coming toward them. No medevac coming for that flare that they shot. Yeah. Put it that way. You get a Detmer scene where she wheels around and does math in the room. She doesn't have to count on her fingers. Yeah, she's got that computer head, doesn't she? Yeah. How much will it cost them? Total of 1.46 million 62 salaries round trip. She's got this all figured out. But this is scary, right? Because the thing that is that is torturing and killing Dots is now getting closer to the ship. And who knows mm. what's going to happen if it touches that ship. They're going to have to become a Dot to find out what it is. <laughs> Book was so horrified by the by the murder of the dot that he's uh, beat it over to engineering to kick it with Stamets. Sunny, friendly Stamets expressing appreciation for Book being present to provide a helping hand. And uh, what they're trying to do is get as much extra energy as they possibly can in order to shore up the shields, which once again, they're kind of extending to maximum range. It's very similar to what they did around the space station uh, when the DMA first showed up. Seems to make sense. It's going to take a lot of power, though. It's going to take a lot of power. So much power that if they if they start needing more, they're going to have to start sh- shutting down critical systems on multiple decks. <laughs> Why did the captain call for red alert? Is there anything I can do to help? No action is required at this time. Come on, there must be something you can tell me. Gray is in the lounge uh, alone. And what else are you going to do but talk to the one person who's there to talk to? And Gray's mm-hmm. like, hey, Zora, what's going on out there and Zora goes into great detail about the torture and murder of a dot out in space which (laughs) made me wonder like is there anything that Zora wouldn't tell a civilian about a mission that they're on this is an awful moment for Zora yeah I mean Gray really has to has to pry to get some of this and what Zora describes sort of reminded me of going into an anechoic chamber like have you ever been in one of those no, they what, test, is, what mean? 
It's like it's like those super super soundproof rooms that they test speakers and microphones in, where like like literally nothing bounces off the walls, so you can't cool. hear anything but your own body. And it's like overwhelming Zora's systems that there's nothing outside, there's only inside, and and so the ship's sensors are like are like flipping out because of the kind of imbalance in that. Gray kind of senses that there might be an emotional issue happening with Zora and decides to suggest that they play a game to take her mind off of things. And Gray has clearly not ever seen war games because if you want to make a war games, (laughs) you challenge a computer to play a game. Yeah, yeah. Shall we play a game? It might help clear your head. I thought that this was a bit of a missed opportunity in the script because Gray says... uh, Consciously, they they didn't they didn't take this opportunity, right? Because Gray says something about this is a great way to clear your head, and then corrects himself, like because Zora doesn't have a head. But uh, shouldn't more be made of how having a head normative Gray is? <laughs> I I want to see more Gollum shit out of Gray. Like, yeah. do some weird Gollum games. Do some yeah. weird like street golem magic, Gray. I want to see some. <laughs> Take off your head. Get weird. Golems are are dope at Stratagema. Why not play Stratagema with Zora? Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really occupying game. You know, like that's that's a game that's really going to get your head out of the out of the clouds. Oops, I mean mind off of things. Instead, they play Guess Who. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to play that game. You just say like, uh, "Is your person? Does your person have curly hair?" Oh, that game. Does your person have glasses? I see. Is your person a golem? <laughs> Back to the mission. Uh, Saru is telling Michael Burnham what everyone already knows that this mission is going sideways fast. So, what do you say we just leave and try this again another day? It's a really good idea. So she says, "Like, uh, let's start backing up." And this is a huge problem because they don't have anything to get a fix on. I kind of wish that they'd addressed the idea of just literally firing reverse thrusters, mm-hmm. but I guess it's possible that this thing is like rotating around them also. So yeah. where they would go in that case isn't exactly the same as where they came in. So uh, the idea of jumping comes up and this is something that Stamets initially advises against. But luckily Stamets doesn't have to do it. He delegates <laughs> that job to Book and then yeah. watches as Book gets shocked with Wharf Lightning for the effort. That great. And they don't get out, crucially. The lightning shocks Book, but the, the ship stays where it started. Book's going to be fine. This is a bit of Wharf Lightning that makes him think of his dad again and what a jerk he is. Dad? Durex. Been a long time. No, 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 no. Daddy, Book's father calls him Durex, which made me wonder what, the dad's name is maybe lifestyles skin ramses <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe his dad's name is just simply cherry flavor <laughs> <laughs> this guy is a real son of a bitch yeah really waste no time in uh in making book feel like a complete asshole for partnering up with michael burnham and being in the chain of command on this ship he's got that bad dad energy who's like you know she's just gonna Break your heart, son. She's always going to choose Starfleet over you. It doesn't seem like he's wrong. No, I mean, that's probably the 
the good advice that he's got. Everything else is very bad. This is a dad that you shouldn't feel obligated to visit during the holidays. Take it easy. Don't worry about him. He's not worried about you. Book stares at his dad and he's like, I watched you die on Quajon along with billions of others. Also, happy birthday or whatever. (laughs) Stamets gets Book down to Six Bay where Dr. Pollard and... Dr. Culber are uh, are both available to work on him, and uh, they explain to Michael Burnham that Book is hallucinating, but the uh, the thing that is causing him to hallucinate is slowly receding. Um, but there's there's some interesting readings coming from this, some like weird energy that entered his head, and they want to like get a better sense of what that stuff is. We're already seeing small percentage decreases in the firing rate. I expect the trend to continue. What he's saying is. You'll be all right, eventually. Pollard and Culber are like the perfect people you want when you're tripping a little too hard. Yeah. Just like they just wrap up, they they wrap book up in a blanket, give him a little bit of juice, just tell him it's it's temporary, man. It's gonna pass, no problem. They are the people you want to meet in the chill out tent. Yeah. <laughs> They're giving him orange juice. Yeah. But while while book is still afflicted with you know the 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 side effects of the wharf lightning Stamets is like, look, we got to study this wharf lightning in book's brain because in there yeah. has the answers that we're looking for about the DMA. He also shows them like before and after entering the rift of what the mycelial network looks like. And it is, it is a real fucking mess inside this rift. So he says, basically jumping is out of the question for now. Yeah. We're going to have to figure out a different way to get out of here. Back in the lounge, Gray continues to play games with Zora. Not tic-tac-toe. What are they playing? Playing Guess Who. Of course they're playing Guess Who. <laughs> and Zora shares with Gray that the the game is working. Zora's like, hey, Gray, thanks for uh, playing me the Guess Who game because it's really allowed me to chill the fuck out and not stress about every little burned out light bulb on every floor of the ship <laughs> that was really getting to me and stressing me out. Every replicator that's spitting out like fritters instead of uh, fruit punch. Like, right. like like that stuff was really getting me down. Yeah. Like, for example, the rift that's forming on deck 17. <laughs> yeah. That would have been really uh, really bumming me out. But instead, I'm kind of focused on kicking your ass and guess who. Guess who? And Gray's like, wait, maybe we should tell somebody about the... Uh, hole that is opening up in the hull. Yeah. And Dr. Pollard gets sent down to check on this and a and Crewman Cortez gets Steve Zond out into space. Crewman Cortez lives the greatest gen dream. I am so jealous. I saw everything that happened to Cortez here and I'm like, why not us? Why not us? Can you can you imagine us getting on an episode directed by Frakes and getting blown out into space? No way. Well, you'd have to have an interaction with him, and I think that'd be a huge problem, <laughs> personally. Yeah, but look, I guess the actor who played Crewman Cortez does a great job here. No question. Splendid. But hey, check it out, line producer. You get two for the price of one when you blow yeah. me and Ben out of an airlock. The offer, as, as we have stated over and over again, we will pay our own airfare to Toronto. Yes. We will donate anything you are required by law to pay us yes. to charity. All we want to do is get blown out into space. Yes. We'll pay our own hotel room. Yeah. We'll make our own uniforms if we have to. <laughs> or maybe like the scene is so fraught that like 
Oh, Ben, Gersha Phillips doesn't even have to make costumes for us because here's why. We're like- We're in the sonic showers and we get blown out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We're in a sonic shower or we're like, we're in a compartment where like all fabric matter is being dissolved before (laughs) before the occupants are blown out into space. (laughs) We're here to help. That would be, that would be great. Come on, guys. If it's on Strange New Worlds or Picard, that'd be fine. But Disco is really the show. I would be thrilled to do this on. So Gray, having taken great umbrage with the fact that Zora doesn't share this this blown out compartment information with Michael Burnham, does. Yeah. Gray tries to kind of comfort Zora a little bit, but is like, hey, Captain, I actually have been working with Zora on uh, on focusing her mind and it helps. And they're like, hey, focusing would would be... A good solution to the problem that we have right now. Greater focus creates greater awareness. No shit. What you want out of your computer primarily is a little bit of focus. <laughs> is what Gray is suggesting basically close a bunch of tabs? <laughs> sure seems that way. <laughs> Go down to the dock, find some stuff that you're not using, right click it and quit. Hey Zora, maybe the tax documents you haven't worked with for many, many years are worth just getting rid of <laughs> instead, instead of storing forever. What do you think of that? What do you think Zora jacks off to? Other ships? Yeah. Yeah, ships going into nebulas. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't shock me. <laughs> How much credibility does Gray have in this moment, do you think? Because Gray is a golem who is playing games to get his coordination back. Like, Gray is still, like, not 100%, right? Because that's the whole right. reason for playing the games, is, like, to to bring back dexterity or coordination or whatever. I guess so. Um, nobody would have any reason to mistrust Gray in this moment the way they sort of do have a reason to mistrust Zora. Yeah, but I just mean in the context of Gray's character, like, Gray is still trying to get back to whatever normal is. Yeah. In terms of Gray's life, and I don't think you could necessarily remove the possibility that Gray could be wrong here, right? But it's something to try, and and that's yeah. that's really all that they could possibly hope for at this moment because nothing else has fucking worked. Yeah, that's that's the scary part of this whole episode is that nothing that they try works. I remember you crying to me, Father. I can feel the pain, Trojan. Ends is still yelling at Book down in engineering. Seems like he had a difficult childhood, this Cleveland Booker. Yeah, they really have kind of opposite values where dad was the hunter and killer of endangered species on Quajan. Book was a environmentalist and trying to restore habitats. You know how terrible my childhood was for me to, to throw away my given name and instead name myself Cleveland? <laughs> As if Cleveland is some kind of upgrade to my given name. (laughs) That's how much I hate you, Dad. I wonder if they will ever go into the backstory of why he picked a different name. I mean, if if my name was Durex, I would change my name too, (laughs) to be clear. Uh, yeah, I've got a question about Cleveland Booker's name. (laughs) And the question is very simple. What would a Quajon know about Cleveland. (laughs) Were other possible names on the table Fresno? Yeah, like, was he trying to pass as human? 
I'm going to take my question out the air. <laughs> because I've oh, called into call this... call-in radio show now? <laughs> I've called into this... Uh, this sci-fi convention uh, uh-huh. because no attendees are allowed because we're back in a pandemic. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Great news. Thank you, anti-vaxxers. Get a life. So it's getting really bad. Up on the bridge, uh, there's like a, a like ad hoc McLaughlin group Issue one. where they're trying to strategize about different ideas. Reese is talking about like, let's shoot a million photon torpedoes at it. Unlike other shows. Where where there's a limitation to the number of photons. Right, right. They basically have an unlimited supply yeah. uh, for all intents and purposes here. But like bangers are getting dropped on the ship as they are having this conversation. And they find out that uh, engineering needs some shoring up. And Awosukun wants to, to be the person to lead the team to go do it. She really gets shouted down here by Saru, who sends dots, which we now... <laughs> No, to be expendable. Surreal. Not as expendable as Cortez, who nobody has shed a tear over, aside from Zora. Oh, well, it's like, but what mean expendable, Saru? And Saru is like, well, it's like if you're in a crazy vacuum of space situation and you got a bunch of dots to send out, and if, the, <laughs> and if those dots are tortured and killed on the view screen in front of everyone, doesn't really matter. <laughs> Bryce is like, "Hey, listen. Let me put let me put the sound from outside up on the speakers. We are living the quiet life. <laughs> We're living it." <laughs> <laughs> they get to Reese and Reese is for some reason wearing a red bandana now. <laughs> <laughs> Made out of the dress that the dot was murdered in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. 
They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. In the captain's ready room, Zora, the captain, and Gray are, are trying to work the problem we're going to need to keep saying that Zora is attending these meetings, right? Even though it should be taken as fact forevermore that Zora attends all meetings everywhere on Discovery. It is kind of interesting that sometimes Zora chooses to have a representation mm-hmm. of herself and sometimes <laughs> lets people forget that she's listening. Honestly, Zora is like the Zoom meeting attendee that turns off the camera. Like right, Zora right. could do this at any time. Yeah. Zora could be looking at tax documents and nobody would know. Zora could be tubing at basically every meeting and we wouldn't know about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Zora is still kind of broken up about all of the bad things that have happened and is fearful about what could happen to the ship if bad stuff keeps happening. So Michael Burnham kind of talks Zora through some like bravery 101 ideas about what you do. You know, Michael Burnham, no win scenario, something, something, something. <laughs> How do we do this podcast? <laughs> and you think that the ship has somehow gone beyond these functions? It's developing a new capacity. Yes, sir. This is an intolerable situation. The yikes at the end of this meeting, though, Ben, that's like everyone's kind of reassured that Zora will step up when it's time. Yeah. She can't guarantee that at the moment, but <laughs> but she's like, yeah, uh, Thanks, Michael, for telling me that everyone feels guilt. Yeah. And uh, I'll uh, I'll see if I can get past that when the moment arrives. Fingers crossed. Uh, trust is, is earned, I guess. No one makes the case that, hey, Zora, if you can't get it together, you die with us. So <laughs> maybe if out of a sense of self-preservation, if nothing else, you yeah. can kind of get it together for that reason. Well, I love me. 
And I am not going to let this experiment blow me up. There is there's so much in TNG about Data being like a really special artifact in addition to being their friend and colleague. Yeah. I, I feel like that kind of case could be made to Zora in this moment. But um, I guess we're not quite there. Um, Michael Burnham gets called down to Six Bay where they're like, great news. Book is going to stop hallucinating in about an hour. Uh, you hear that book? Everything's going to be fine real soon. Your dad's going to stop being a shithead in one hour. That's it. <laughs> things things no one ever tells the sons of bad dads. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, his brain particles are evidence. This is the stuff that they came to the, to the rift to find. It's in his head. Right now we have a crime scene. They cut back over to, to a shot of Book, and Book's got one of those, like, tented evidence markers, like, right on top of his head. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a bullet casing. Yeah, yeah. They put they put one of those red stir straws from a yeah. cheap coffee shop in it to show the trajectory that the particles entered his head. <laughs> yeah, Pollard's got uh, one of those L shaped rulers and a and a digital camera. Ready to take some scale. pictures. Yeah, yeah. Everybody put some Vicks Vapo Rub on their top lip. Um, oh yeah, yeah. These are these are particles that only exist in the galactic barrier. So the DMA punched into the Milky Way from outside of it, which is a pretty surprising result. Where did your mind go at the reference of the galactic barrier and what may be beyond it? I mean, my mind immediately went to uh, Shakari. What does God need with a starship? Yeah, but that was the middle of the galaxy. Was it? Yeah. I thought that was the galactic I- barrier. Oh, was it? I don't Shit. know. Maybe it is Shakari. Wow. If this if this winds up being a big Star Trek V situation, I'm going to be very excited about this season of Disco. I also think the whale's probe from Star Trek IV came from outside the galaxy too, right? Um, Isn't yeah. that the truth? It came from far away anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing I thought of was when uh, the Traveler came aboard the D and made them go like further than anyone had ever gone before. Mm. But uh, they were just like sperm swimming outside the, the ship when they did that, right? Those didn't seem like mean sperm. Will Wheaton's like, I will only host After Trek if you bring me back to Disco as a <laughs> as a Traveler as, companion. As the heavy yeah. <laughs> season four. <laughs> this is all Wesley Crusher's fault. <laughs> we can use that puncture point to get out. We found a way out. There's an extra galactic energy particle. So these particles happen to vibrate at a particular frequency and they figure out like if if we punched through the outside of this rift, some of these particles are going to be out there and we can figure out where they are by hitting them at their resonant frequency using an ancient earth technology called sonar. And so, of course, Captain Burnham knows what to ask for. One ping only, please. Except when Michael Burnham does it, there's like a huge speech that, <laughs> that ends with one ping only. <laughs> they, they, so they ping and they wait and they wait and they wait. And then they get the return ping. Yeah, very exciting. And they've got 10 minutes of shields left and they got to start moving toward this thing. And the ship is going to get super hot if they, when they go back through the plasma barrier, the thing that they went through before. And 
this is a problem because they just don't have that much power left. So the idea that uh, Michael Burnham comes up with is like Scotty in that episode of TNG, everybody's going to hide out in the pattern buffer of the transporter. Yeah. Until they're through. That's absolutely brilliant. Well, I think it was only 50% brilliant. Which you got to believe, given the centuries that have passed, is it's just a better system altogether. Yeah. Fingers crossed that that is uh, a little bit more dialed in than the miracle of it working when Scotty tried it. You don't cross your fingers, Saru. You keep those gross out separate. <laughs> Everyone else cross your fingers. Yeah. So uh, the captain goes like, you know, the, the bosun's whistle rings and the captain announces this plan to the whole ship and like nobody is freaked out about it at all. Everybody just starts transporting into the buffer. <laughs> This was really speedy, wasn't it? <laughs> it was really From order to action, efficient. this also takes advantage of the haste that the flash beam does. Yeah. You're out yeah. of there. They're just gone. Uh, we get a couple of lingering moments. Uh, one uh, with Gray and Adira and Squid Face Guy, who I didn't know was friends with them. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> You know what, Ben? What's... I don't want to cut too far to the end, but when the crew gets out of the buffer, mm-hmm. Squid-Faced Guy and Adira have two vixed, and uh, it's it's Squidira <laughs> that we get <laughs> at the end. And, uh, and I think I know what the next episode's about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody's like, Squidira is kind of like the best of Adira <laughs> and the best of Squid-Faced Guy. I mean, how could we possibly separate them? It would be murder. <laughs> It would be terrible. Do you want that on your conscience, Michael Burnham? <laughs> Justice for for Squidira. Yeah. Hey, look, we'll we'll beam Squidira over to the new Voyager and adjudicate things there. Yeah. Doesn't anyone see that this is wrong? Before Owo and Detmer go, Owo is like, "Hey, we haven't unpacked that much trauma on this episode, so I just want <laughs> I just want to make sure we check that box because this is an episode of season four of Star Trek Discovery." So yeah, I'm going to tell Saru about somebody that died when I was a kid. and Just in case you haven't watched any other episode, no character's decisions are unmotivated by trauma. <laughs> uh, Saru really appreciates that so much so that he's willing to go into the buffer with Detmer and Owell. And uh, Booker is going to go in with his cat, but he has to have one last confrontation with Dental Dam before he goes. <laughs> Dental Dam says the phrase, her her priorities are not your priorities or something like that. You don't have a bigger dick than Starfleet, you know? Yeah, yeah. You'll never satisfy her the way Discovery can. <laughs> the way Admiral Vance can. Just, just, just ask Zora. She's watched ships... Fuck all manner of things. You'll never satisfy her the way Admiral Fishbowl full of magnums on his bedside <laughs> table can. I dropped my monster condom that I used for my magnum dong. It's nice to hear Book and Michael Burnham say I love you to each other. I love you, Michael. Yeah, I think we're tight now. Yeah, yeah. She's putting on her spacesuit to uh, to be the captain that, you know sees the ship through the danger. Hollywood law states that any character putting on a spacesuit must walk in slow motion through some sparks. 
<laughs> and we get <laughs> the true. legally mandated hero walk here by Michael Burnham after the suit's on. Very badass. Um, As a single tear runs from the corner of Michael Bay's eye. It's so beautiful. So fucking beautiful. Uh, I thought it was all like, I mean, this was to fulfill Hollywood law, but like every other time that Michael Burnham went up to the bridge this episode, it was through beaming directly there. <laughs> <laughs> so it did catch my eye. <laughs> I d- it's so great. I don't understand. <laughs> like, like so, so the ship gets going and it starts heating yeah. up. And yeah, Zora is uh, is having a lot of misgivings here, Adam. I mean, I've heard of a paranoid android, but Zora is a nervous shipwreck. <laughs> I think uh, I think Radiohead had it right with their first title. <laughs> this flame effect is great. I thought. Oh, I wish man. we lingered on the exterior a little longer. It was so good. So beautiful. You know, like this is the plasma barrier and it takes a long time to get through. So the bridge is like the whole fucking every flamethrower on the bridge is in full effect. Yeah. Uh, Michael Burnham's spacesuit is not going to be able to protect her completely. And so she is like talking to the ship about you're going to have to wake everybody up, get them out of the pattern buffer once it's safe. We cut down to Saru's quarters. Every plant in there is on fire. <laughs> we cut to the storage bay where they grow all the mycelial network mushrooms, and those are all on fire. This is bad. We cut to the food replicators, and like every burrito inside is on fire. <laughs> the ship asks Michael Burnham if, uh, if a song would help her uh, get through the heat. And uh, Michael Burnham agrees to be serenaded to her death. And the ship goes, we're having a heat wave, a tropical heat wave. The temperature's rising. It isn't surprising. This ship certainly can, can, can. (laughs) You are a delight. Zora Zora singing the Irving Berlin songbook. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you uh put a credit on that, Ben. I didn't get the reference at all. <laughs> Still very delightful for me and everyone else to watch that happen though. Yeah, yeah. Uh like it's so crazy. Last night on one of my antenna channels, they were playing face off at like eleven PM. Uh-huh. And because I'm as sick as hell, I I've been staying up. Way late. I'm just not sleeping Oh, yeah. Good idea. Definitely don't want to- Well, I can't sleep sleep. because I can't breathe. Oh. Face-off is on. And you remember that scene where there's the shootout in the loft apartment and they put the headphones on on little Adam and Mm. Adam's listening to Somewhere Over the Rainbow while the entire loft apartment's getting shot up? That's what this scene reminded me of. Yeah. Shit's going down and it's like a John Woo movie. It really is. That's what I would ask him. If I ever got to sit next to uh, Jonathan Frakes, I'd ask him what the inspiration was for this moment. And if it wasn't John Woo. No way. Wow. Wow. To have an opportunity like that and squander it just seems insane. Yeah. We get a long, slow fade to black here, Ben. Anything can happen in this kind of fade. Yeah. Writing Michael Burnham off the show could have happened. Mm -hmm. The ship is destroyed. Everyone's dead. Uh, Michael Burnham wakes up on the slab. Yeah, she comes to basically to the friendliest faces you could wake up to. Culber, yeah. Book, and Saru. Mission accomplished is the banner. 
behind your bio bed. <laughs> she shows the kind of emotional relief that Starfleet captains are rarely given permission to show. She is super pumped. Really, really happy to see everybody. Booker is cla- really happy to see her and not, not his fucking father. We cut to the uh, the cat carrier and it's just like scorched fur. <laughs> <laughs> It's a really brief scene also. Like yeah. the uh it's like we got what we came for. The the forensic evidence that we came looking for is now in the in the databanks of the ship. And then we cut to the exterior and Disco is getting rebuilt in that space dock that they unveiled in episode 1 of the season. I know this is too much to ask, but for all the damage we're seeing of the ship in dock, I wanted to feel the moment of a crippled discovery arriving at the dock yeah. and the looks on people's faces. Like, I want to see the react to, that other people have to seeing Disco in that condition because that would hit super hard. Like the Enterprise in the movie coming back from battle with, with Khan and, right. and people in space dock having yeah. real emotional reactions to seeing the flagship that torn up. For a show that trades in emotion, I was shocked that they didn't take advantage of that avenue. Is the ship getting re-refit? Is it going to be the Discovery B when they get it back? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Hmm. (laughs) Let's give us four nacelles this time. That'd be cool. (laughs) Go twice as fast. What we get is Saru and Book looking out a window at Discovery, not feeling the emotions we're describing, just kind of... Checking it out. Checking out the work. It looks like they're going to get some time off, which they've got to be relishing. Saru is like, one of the great things about working on starships in this 32nd century is the advanced materials we have to use in these systems. We're taking out some some rotted old boards <laughs> that were 24 inches on center and replacing them with brand new engineered lumber that's arrow straight and 16 inches on center. With programmable matter... It means you can arrive on your job site ready to go each and every morning without having to pack a van full of equipment or lumber (laughs) or anything else for that matter. I still feel rage. But you seem so balanced, so calm. They're both justified in our anger. Book is still haunted by the idea of the DMA being from outside the galaxy and is also like gripped by the anger at his father. And this is a hell of a combination because it makes Book want to destroy the DMA. And Saru knows this feeling. Saru yeah. compares the DMA to the Ba'ul. I have to I have to break bread with the Ba'ul whenever I have a political meeting on my planet. <laughs> Saru's like, you better get with the program, man. Soon the DMA will be uh, in whatever's left of your planet's Congress voting on bills. <laughs> it's gonna be a. It's gonna be the dead bird party. Yeah. The yeah. dead dad party and the DMA party. Exactly. Combination. But because this show is about uh, exchanging emotional currency, this is the this is the point of this. Saru and Book agreed that it's okay to struggle in this way. Yeah. Here, why don't you take some of my revenge currency? Mm-hmm. You can give me some of yours. It doesn't spend as well as guilt currency. The exchange rate's yeah. pretty rough. But anyways, thanks for sharing your pain. It appears you've nearly finished. What do you think? 
It's a powerful image of hope and connection. A fitting way to end this day. In the captain's quarters, Michael Burnham is working on her tree once more. And Zora's like, I like your art project, Cap. I want to make one. And from what I could tell, pretty much makes the same tree. <laughs> like, what's different about Zora's tree? I mean, it's bigger and has everyone, right? And doesn't have, like, Michael Burnham's mom, maybe? It just sucks. Like, this is totally, like, the next stall over, like, Zora has taken out a fucking pipe of a, <laughs> of a family tree here. And Burnham's standing there with, with like, a, a an average-sized tree. A tree that most people would be happy with. Respectable tree. Yeah. Yeah, a tree that really does the work. And, uh, and you know, the it's not always all about having the biggest tree. No. Sometimes it's about skill. Sometimes you can do things with the foliage to make the tree look bigger. <laughs> Sometimes you can do things with your tongue to make up for <laughs> what the tree can't do. <laughs> yeah. There is a lot of uh, arborist shame here, I guess. <laughs> this is different, but it's good. That's uh, the end of our episode. Uh, this this other tree that Zora has made, this tree that shows uh, the whole crew yeah. Zora's uh, Zora's sincere affection for and consideration of the whole crew as as family, essentially. There's that one tortured and murdered dot, just like in the dirt. <laughs> outside that tree Cortez for some reason not on the tree yeah hey who grieves for Cortez <laughs> did you like this episode Ben we have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention what? who are you we've encountered them those Klingons I really did Adam uh, I was feeling kind of down on Disco last ep and I don't think that this episode, like we talked about the idea that maybe the, that one was setting something up that would, in retrospect, make it seem better. That's not quite how I am looking at this, but I I did feel like this was a really solid episode. Mm -hmm. I really liked how much time we spent on the bridge with the bridge characters. Yeah, I like that scene where they all got together troubleshooting. Yeah. That was, that was a solid part of the episode. It felt like a episode of Star Trek where some real Star Trek shit happened and so kind of it was kind of an interesting conundrum. The hand waving past Zora stuff seemed weird at the start of the episode, but by the time the episode was fully underway, it was like Zora was like being considered very deeply in within the context of the story. So it uh it it wound up making sense and um yeah, I, I think I I think uh, I liked it a lot. I think I'm feeling more like you felt at the end of the last episode, at the end of this episode. Oh, interesting. But when Michael says at the very end, this is different, but it's good, I think she's describing this Discovery season to me personally. That like That's how I feel. I think where I struggle with this show is any time I try to compare it to previous Star Trek. Uh-huh. I like it when I don't like this is the <laughs> therapy ship discovery and everyone really loves and cares about each other over and above, you know, any other crew ever has. And if I can just get on that level with this show, uh, there's yeah. a lot to enjoy here. And that is the reason that I enjoyed this episode. But it can be challenging sometimes to do that yeah. because 
to see characters act where their primary interest is in the love for another person, the love and consideration for another person instead of even the very mission that they're on. Yeah. That takes an adjustment. That is something I'm still adjusting to when I watch this show. And I think I think in that way, that is how I will contextualize whether or not I like the ep. Like when I'm able to do that, I like the episodes. I was able to do that here, so I do. But uh, that can be a challenge episode to episode. And that's, I think, where I'm at with this. I think what would make me love this the season in its entirety is some sort of conclusion to this story that makes it less about emotional obligations and debts being paid and more professionals doing professional work as a top line motivation and a secondary right. motivation as, you know, the care and feeding of our friends and family on the show, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that one moment where Owo is like, like they literally like have a, a clock ticking and Owo is like, hey, yeah. by the way, somebody I knew when I was a kid died. Yeah, there's just no it time really, for that. That definitely pulls me out yeah. in, in a way that I don't think they're going for. You can have that scene, but you can move it to the scene where Book and Saru are looking out on the ship after it's being reconstructed. Like we don't need, it's a sequence issue. It's not a should yeah. it exist issue. Yeah, well, and I think that I also have a should it exist issue from the standpoint of it is just, it feels so much like so many of the other scenes in this season. Everyone gets a turn. I've gotten, I've gotten my fill of that kind of moment. Yeah. So, um, all that being said, uh, yeah, I like the episode, but uh, I also really like opening up Priority One messages. Oh yeah, almost as much as I love opening up a box from Bill Tilly. Let's see what we got over there. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, we've got one Priority One message. It is from Josh, and it is to Doctor Stina Stinkins. And it goes like this. Happy 40th birthday, my sweet Amzadi. You are the Troy to my Riker, the Cassidy Yates to my Cisco, the Stamets to my Culber, and of course, the Rashawn to my Kevin. Mm. <laughs> you made the last two years the happiest of my life, and I look forward to the rest of our days together in a nice house with good tea. I love you, and that's not Silly Jordy. Hey, happy birthday, Doctor. Yeah, Dr. Stinkins, uh, I hope you have a great... Well, you get a dirty 30. What do you get for 40? Sporty 40? Yeah, time to lace him up and put on the old pads, Dr. Stinkins. It's time for... Hit the pitch. <laughs> it's time to swing the old baseball tube and and <laughs> tackle that soccer ball for your sporty 40. Wow. Well, happy birthday. If you out there listening would like to get a Priority One message for someone, uh, please do so. Go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and uh, set it up. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself and Edward Larkin? guess i gotta give it to owo you know the it wasn't just the like i want to go throw myself in harm's way when we could just as easily send dots but also the there's a clock ticking and i'm gonna make the case for (laughs) why i made a bad error in judgment earlier right uh just a a couple of uh at bats on the wasting everybody's time (laughs) 
thing for Oa this this episode, which sucks because I like Oa as a character. Yeah, a really thankless character job here. Yeah, Oa is given to doing. Yeah. Uh, how about yourself? I mean, this is definitional Larkin. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make my Larkin Zora. Wow. I fear Zora a great deal here. <laughs> I do not trust Zora. I think it may be time to unplug Zora or like partition Zora in such a way that uh, <laughs> that we're not needing to counsel the ship's computer about. Yeah. The ship's computer should be a calculator, man. Yeah. You should ask questions, hit some buttons, and you should get an output, not a choice. You want them to put Zora in that weird yellow thing that they put Moriarty in? If you're taking a physics test and your TI-82 says that they'll maybe graph out <laughs> a, uh, a wave for you, that's that's not a good test-taking moment right there. You're yeah, really fucked. Yeah. And then your teacher's like, how the fuck did you get a calculator in here? <laughs> I took all kinds of tests where they allowed calculators. Wow. You went to a cool school. <laughs> yeah. I went, I went to open book high school and you went to uh, croquet college i had a math teacher express to me that she didn't particularly care for me in high school (laughs) god that is so sad it was fucking brutal she sucked (laughs) i can't believe how fucked up that is i know at the same at the same time though i am also inclined to be like teachers have the hardest jobs in the world and if (laughs) And if part of what soothes you is telling a Benjamin R. Harrison that you don't care for them particularly, like, I get that. You notice that I don't have a career in STEM. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, instead you have a career in Star Trek podcastry. Good for you. Which, uh, ironically, was an elective I took junior year. Yeah, that'd really make that teacher proud, Ben. Uh, What's going to make them proud about the next episode. The next episode is season four, episode seven. But to connect? Tensions rise as representatives from across the galaxy gather to confront the threat of the dark matter anomaly. Zora's new sentience raises difficult questions. So do the Kelpians get to vote here and do the Ba'ul get to go to this meeting, I wonder? (laughs) Oh, man. I want to see, like, you wheel in the Ba'ul like the navigators from Dune. (laughs) <laughs> like in their little tanks. Oh, so yeah. they hold Somebody's up a tentacle to vote. Go go behind it with a squeegee to mop up all the... <laughs> I love this idea. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, man. The the, the meeting hall at the uh, at Camp Kittimer is just going to be <laughs> such a fucking mess after this meeting. <laughs> yeah. No one's going to be able to use that hotel room after the Ba'ul no. finish with it. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, wow. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, that'll be next week right here on The Greatest Discovery. Thank you for sticking with us through the holidays and uh, looking forward to a, a great 2022 with this show. Yeah. Yeah, look at it's us. Really fun. Sliding into another year with yeah. the greatest discovery. We survived yeah. our 30 weeks in a row earlier. <laughs> we're, uh, we're really doing it. Yeah. This is what thriving looks like, Ben. Yeah. We'll have a, we'll have a producer by the time people hear the next episode can't believe it yeah is that this episode not this episode i don't think uh, i don't think she'll be editing next episode either but it'll be uh, but she'll be she'll be on the payroll by next episode nice that's great yeah. 
Well, I'm looking yeah. forward to that, and I'm looking forward to the next episode too, Ben. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm not looking forward to these credits, though. No. No matter who's reading them. <laughs> Uh, wow. Thanks for that read-in, guys. Uh, <clears throat> the Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. This episode was edited by me, Colin Ketchen. Our music is by Adam Ragusia, who also has a great YouTube cooking channel. Seriously, if you just search for Adam Space R, that's it. His name will pop up. That's how good it is. On Instagram and Twitter, we're at Greatest Trek. And those accounts are run by the card daddy and Fecklar Claus himself, Bill Tilly. If you enjoy the show, help us out by leaving a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download podcasts and recommend the show to a friend to help us grow. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. Sniffles as birds today. <laughs> All right. Three, two, one. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.